This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. LASIK. LASIK.com. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? It's estimated over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. To save, visit HealthLock.com today. Quoted George Will many times over the years, whether it's a, a book, a column in the Washington Post, or something he said on one of the many talk shows that I've, I've watched him on over the years. He's got a new book out called The Conservative Sensibility. I don't know if you like a good blurb on your book when you're an author, but a pretty good blurb from Jonah Goldberg, who we also really like. Staggeringly good, easily one of the best books on American conservatism ever written. And I watched the conversation between George Will and Jonah Goldberg on C-SPAN the other day, and it was fantastic. I highly recommend it to anybody that has any interest in it. Whether you are uh, hate conservatism as a progressive or you're a conservative yourself, what a great, intellectual, easy-to-understand conversation. And I think it's safe to say this conversation will pale badly in comparison. Probably. So enjoy. Uh, it's always a pleasure to speak with George Will. How are you, sir? I thrive. I'm better than the country. Excellent. Well, uh, given the fact that the ideas of limited government and the sacred value of the individual have died, do you want to talk about baseball? (laughs) (laughs) I know more about baseball. 
Actually, I, as we talk, I've got the MLB channel on muted in my office. It, I turn it on at 7 in the morning, and I turn it off, and I leave at 6. I could watch baseball highlights all day long. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, listen, you, is by there... By the way, you mentioned the progressives. Uh, progressives should be interested in my book because it, it explains something that should worry them. 1964, I cast my first vote for Barry Goldwater, to whom the book is dedicated. In 1964, 77% of the American people said they trusted the government to do the right thing all the time or almost all the time. Today, that's down to 17%, a 60-point collapse in the prestige of government. Now, since everything progressives want to do depends on a strong state and a strong government depends upon public confidence in it, they should be seriously worried about what's happened. That's uh, not a minor change, a 60-point collapse in the way people look at government. Well, but at the same time, though, we have this enormous contempt for government, yet, uh, you know, the masses of voters want more and more of it. That's a bit of a disconnect to me. It's it's called, the fancy word for that is cognitive dissonance. It's holding in your mind with equal fervor and sincerity, flatly incompatible ideas. Uh, the political scientists have long argued that the American people are rhetorically conservative and operationally liberal, that they talk like Jeffersonians, that government is best that governs least, and all the rest, but they want to be governed by Hamiltonians, and they've certainly got that now. Well, the the, the thing I've quoted on you on the most over the many years, because you've been saying this for a long time and it's just so true, what bothers you most is not the gridlock and the polarization and how the parties can't get along and get anything done. It's the thing they do agree on, that we should have more government than we pay for. Both parties seem to be in agreement on that. I think the political class is far more united by class interests than it is divided by ideology. For all the talk about the discord in our country, and Lord knows it's real enough, what terrifies me is the consensus, which is that we should have a large, omnipresent, omniprovident, ever more generous welfare state and not pay for it. Uh, the public loves this because they get a dollar's worth of government and they're charged uh, uh, 80 cents for it. And we shove a fifth of the cost of government off on the unconsenting because unborn future taxpayers will have to service this debt. And uh, the result is that today, under a Republican government, we're running a trillion-dollar annual budget deficit at full employment and 3% growth. Now, ask yourself this. What is going to happen when the next recession begins with a trillion-dollar budget deficit? Now, you may some people say, well, we're not going to have any more recessions. I think that if the current president had outlawed the business cycle, his native modesty would not have prevented him from mentioning it. <laughs> <laughs> well, oh, boy. So is this a failure of... Messaging by those of us of a uh, conservative point of view, at least in terms of the size and function of government, um, is it a just a, a failure of humanity that's going to manifest itself over and over again as uh, democracies mature? Is there any avoiding this slide towards seeing government as as a combination of mommy and Santa Claus? I think a reckoning is coming, and I, I blame the leadership class. I don't expect the American people to closely monitor government. Uh, They have children to raise and gutters to clean and the screen door to fix and just getting on with life. I blame a leadership class that knows that it benefits politically from this constant uh, running of enormous deficits that uh, makes big government cheaper than it actually is. 
Uh, and the reckoning, uh, when it comes, will not be paid by the political class. It will be paid by the people who, understandably, were not paying close attention. Well, you brought up something the other day in your conversation with Jonah Goldberg that I thought was really good about public choice theory and the way it applies to government workers and government itself. Could you explain that to us? Yes, a public choice theory for which James Buchanan of the University of Virginia won a Nobel Prize as an economist says simply this. In the private sector, we understand that people try to maximize something, usually their income, their wealth. In the public sector, people don't stop behaving like normal, interested, aggrandizing people. But in the public sector, instead of maximizing their income, they try to maximize their power which is why government should be looked upon not sentimentally as a disinterested group of, of uh, social scientists. Rather, government should be looked upon as an interested faction itself. It has its own interests, and uh, it should be treated uh, accordingly as, as w- with wariness, and we should avoid the sentimentalizing about government. This is what puzzles me about the likes of Elizabeth Warren, who I, who's idea content I'd rather like. I mean, I don't like her ideas, but I like the fact that she brings ideas to politics. Here's the problem. She says, with some justification, that the government has become the plaything of interests. The government is so deeply involved in allocating wealth and opportunity in the United States. Uh, It's not not a mystery why five of the ten wealthiest counties in the United States by per capita income are in the Washington area. We don't have any natural resources. We don't make anything except laws and trouble. But so much money sloshes through Washington and is directed by Washington that it pays for people to capture the government. And they do capture it. And it's captured by compact, intense, articulate, confident, well-lawyered factions So Elizabeth Warren's right about that. But then she says inexplicably what we need to do is make this difficult government bigger. We need to get it more involved in allocating wealth and opportunity in society. George Will uh, George Will has a brand new book out, The Conservative Sensibility, which is getting rave reviews in, in many different quarters. Uh, we were talking about the homeless crisis on the West Coast, or the West Coast bum explosion, as we usually describe it. And uh, one of our theories is that uh, it's it's the natural result of the triumph of emotionalism over realism. The idea that if you're just kind and compassionate and give people everything they need, they will. Well, I don't know that they'll they'll move into apartments and go away or something. As opposed to, you know, the more realistic, perhaps not compassionate enough past where a cop would just run you out to the edge of town and say, I don't know where you're going to go, but it isn't going to be here. Uh, would you agree there's been a lot of that on the West Coast? Well, the West Coast is, first of all, it's taken progressive policies meddling with the housing market, uh, trying to achieve various social goals, at least the goals that these people have, high-density living, all the rest, get people out of cars, all that stuff. As a result, you have a shortage of affordable housing. You do have a good climate, which uh, attracts a a lot of people. But also, it it simply is the case that a welcoming, uh, well-intended, compassionate policy is going to attract some of these problems. There's a little story in my book by a man named John Cochran, who's up at uh, Stanford's Hoover Institution, and he blogs as the Grumpy Economist. He tells the story. He said a a 
government decided it wanted to get rid of snakes. So it put a bounty on snakes if you brought in dead snakes. What could go wrong? Hint, he says, snakes are easy to raise. So people went into the snake raising business so they could kill the snakes and get the bounty. Government, when it starts with many of these policies, well, we'll just regulate the housing market. All of a sudden, you learn what Hayek called the, the, the fatal conceit, the business that government doesn't know as much as the market knows. You begin to realize that society is like a Calder mobile. You jiggle something here, and a lot of other things jiggle way over on the other side. So government should uh, reject the progressive analysis, which is as follows. Progressives say the more complex society becomes, the more government ought to try to regulate it. It's exactly the reverse. The more complex society becomes, the more government should step aside, allow market forces to work, because all markets are are information aggregating devices, and they know more than governments know. Talking with George Will, his book, The Conservative Sensibility, we're trying pretty hard to stay away from uh, the T word. (laughs) <laughs> um, uh, and, and really the politics of the day, because once you start in on that, people immediately go to their side. So I'd like to make this more, more uh, a little broader in that power has been going to the presidency for several administrations now for quite a while. And, and, and then just the people's view of government is the president. The president decides everything. That's the only election I care about, the only person I pay attention to in the news. Is, are we getting the government we deserve in that effect? Do you blame the media? I mean, what's going on there? I blame the media in part and technology in part because once radio came along and made mass communication by the president possible, television wants to be sort of slave to a superficial news gathering instrument, which a camera is. It wants to be able to point the camera at something, and it's easier to do it at the president than 535 members of Congress. When Roosevelt gave his first, Franklin Roosevelt gave his first fireside chat on the radio as president. His first two words were, my friends. Now, we're used to this kind of talk, but back then, frankly, it was revolutionary. People didn't used to think that a president ought to be our friend. The president's supposed to take care that the laws are faithfully executed, and they're laws made by other people. Presidents were secondary. The presidency is Article Two of the Constitution for a reason, and Congress is Article One for a reason. But there, you said Congress, Congress has been transferring powers voluntarily and uh, recklessly to presidents for several administrations. It's actually about 80 years. It goes back even further than that. Freddie, Teddy Roosevelt said a president should be free to do whatever he wants as long as it's not explicitly forgiven. And along comes Woodrow Wilson, the first president to criticize the American founding, which he did thoroughly. He said the whole separation of powers is a mistake because now we need a government that is nimble and can be wielded by a very strong president. Well, progressives said, good, We'd like progressive presidents wielding power, Teddy Roosevelt, Wilson, Franklin Roosevelt, Lyndon Johnson. I don't think they anticipated the current president <laughs> occupying this uh, this unleashed office. Hey, by the way, you, uh, you've you become aware of Tim Sandifer, who is a friend of ours, personal friend of ours. He used to call into our show years ago as Tim the Lawyer and set us straight on various things, and then we became a guest. So He's terrific. He is fantastic. He's a national asset. He, I agree. He is, and hilariously funny, too, which yep. is underrated for. George Will is on the line. 
so what do you say to those, and uh, this is dovetailing, obviously, off uh, your previous uh, couple of sentences, but what do you say to those who advocate a living constitution that can move with the times? I think a living constitution is an oxymoron. I think it's a contradiction in terms. A living constitution that takes on the shape of whatever uh, cultural forces and political winds are blowing doesn't constitute anything. A living constitution is one that is plastic to the forces of the moment, and that's the opposite of what a constitution is. Remember, our constitution is a series of prohibitions. There shall be, even if Congress wants it, even if the public wants it, there shall be no law abridging freedom of the press, no unreasonable searches and seizures, no establishment of religion, no uh, taking of public property without proper compensation. The Constitution exists to say majority rule is fine, but majority rule is limited and constrained. George Will, the book is The Conservative Sensibility. I can't wait to dig into it myself. And, George, you are always welcome here. It's always uh, enjoyable and and, uh, stimulating as well. Thanks for the time. I hope you guys are uh, spreading out across the country. We need you. Uh, We're doing our damnedest. (laughs) Thank (laughs) Thank you you very much. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Um, uh, Man, there's so many specific things I want to talk to him about. I got some follow-up. Thorny, tough stuff. I chickened out on a big question, and I'm I'm chicken out. But anyway, we got more on that uh, coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So we got a lot of love on the text line. Best radio show on the planet, AG, and it's A. See, I'm reading this text and I thought, I'll just read it as it's written. The best radio show on the planet, dot, 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 A and G. It's not even close. Okay, when I read it like that, but there's no punctuation there. So I couldn't Mm. tell if he, like, a line got left out and he was recommending a show and we're not even close to it. Oh, yeah. That's one possible interpretation. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's what they're saying or not. That that's was freaking nice. awesome, says this texter. That's uh, nice. what a great I'm sure interview. the hate is coming. We just got done talking with George. Well, I don't see how you could dis- have disliked that conversation. And here's here's what drives me crazy: is you you don't you don't get anything like that view of the conservative side of things. Out of uh, out of well, out of most politi- almost all politicians, and certainly not out of the media. Oh, right. And so yeah. you don't get to have conversations at that level where, even if I, I'm guess, I would think that even if you don't agree with Tim Sandifer and George Will, you don't hate them. You don't think they're evil people. I would with hope the not. way they present their arguments. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm. I'm so troubled by. Do I have time to describe this? I'll I'll be brief for once. Um, How people's egos are so tied up in their politics, and their politics are them. That is me. That is my soul. Therefore, I can't challenge your soul. I mean, or I'm obviously your enemy. If I'm telling you your soul is rotten just because I don't agree with your political ideas, that's an insidious trend in in American society right now. Or your fur gets up if you're called a racist, obviously. (laughs) Well, yeah. Well, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'd, well, we don't have time to really rail against that, but it's not a really healthy thing. You can care deeply about politics and not take it 
personally. You can take it seriously, but not personally. Let's meditate on this. Perhaps his marshal tells us what's coming up in his news. President Trump thinks Iran's hardline stance against America may be softening. we got to change a heart in Hong Kong, and my friends, get ready for Amazon's shock bracelet. There's a head fake in Hong Kong. I hate to be quibblesome. Oh, boy. If you haven't heard about the Amazon shock bracelet, that's worth staying tuned for. Pretty good stuff. Armstrong and Getty. Got a ton of response on the text line from our interview with George Will. All of it positive. I think probably because we went out of our way to stay away from the T word. I'll send you a negative one. Yeah, um, please do. Just to keep our egos in check. If we had got into Trump and George Will does not like Donald Trump, uh, we would have gotten plenty of negative comments. Um, must feel bad for people like Will to think they're surrounded by people who care about a political philosophy like his and then realize they're surrounded by people who just want to yell about Democrats. Yeah, that's that's often the case with our politics of the day. Sure. Yeah, you yell about your opponent and then go off and do more or less the same thing. Or exactly the same thing. Yeah, I tell you what, you know, I don't know. Maybe someday we'll write a quickie talk show host book or set up postcards or playing cards. Or... Would you guys go on other morning shows to promote your book? Oh, like, like the horse we are, yeah. <laughs> um... But just, you know, a brief statement of the maybe the Ten Commandments of Armstrong and Getty. And one of them would be hold all politicians with great suspicion. Be very, very careful adoring a politician. That one's just ahead of thou shall not print in anything less than 12 point font. (laughs) There's that. I am an older man. Um, just, Just, God, don't revere politicians. Or at least make them earn it for a very, very long time. Coming up, what employees want, what companies want. They don't match up. In some hilarious ways. I've noticed that. Uh, Stay tuned. Right now, news with Marsha Phillips. Well, President Trump may be trying to de-escalate the rising tensions with Iran following the announcement the U.S. is going to be sending a thousand additional troops to the Middle East. CBS News is reporting in a new interview with Time... The president is saying he believes Iran's approach to the U.S. has softened. Trump saying he doesn't hear the same hateful death to America rhetoric he heard before Iran signed the international nuclear deal. But he also give it a couple of days. But he also said he doesn't want to see the Iranians get a nuclear weapon and could consider military action to prevent it. You know, the media's got to be breathless and engage in hyperbole all the time. And I understand it's a volatile region, et cetera, et cetera. On the other hand, it's funny. I'm just not really worried about this this period of time. We knew when we abandoned the nuclear agreement and were looking for a different understanding with Iran and the various things they did in the region. Right. There's no way that was going to be smooth or comfortable. It's going to be. It reminds me of the China trade negotiations or handful of other things that the, the Trump administration is doing right now. It's going to be rocky ground before we get to the final product, right. and I hope we get to a good final product. You don't product. think Iran's seriously going to work toward a nuclear weapon? Because I, I, our stated <clears> position is we're not going to let them happen and let them right. do it, and I don't think I think we mean it. I think we probably should mean it. Oh, no, Unlike North I, Korea, where we didn't mean it. I agree with you completely. I think Iran is going to use their nuclear weapons program as a bargaining chip, like they did the last time. But 
you know, as Trump has stated, and quite a few, you know, reasonable people agree with him, the last agreement sucked. It was super weak. And so we gotta we gotta get a, a better, broader understanding with the Iranians, which includes them not, you know, building nukes. Hong Kong's chief executive, Carrie Lam, you'll remember her, issued what she termed the most sincere apology over the handling of the, <laughs> Hong, hilarious. the Hong Kong extradition bill today. Now, this is the third time in four days Lam has been softening her stance and suspending the controversial bill on Saturday. Protesters are demanding it be scrapped altogether. She made it clear she won't push the bill anymore without broad support. If we do not have that level of confidence to address those anxieties and fears and uh, differences in opinion, we will not proceed with the legislative exercise again. You know, I gosh dang it. My wife's always telling me I should teach a college class. I would use what? her uh, sculpture, needless to say. Awesome. Nudes, mostly. Well, entirely nudes. Nude sculpture. Nude sculpture. So, yeah. Time to form the thighs, everyone. Uh, sir, I'm feeling triggered. <laughs> Week five, the naughty bits. Right. No, so, uh, yeah. but I would use her in my discussion of modern dictatorial regimes and their messaging. She stands there in her, her lovely and reasonable suit with a pleasant smile on her face and says, I offer you the most sincere apologies for failing to communicate with you. I mean, that should chill your friggin' blood. That gal would, she would stomp on the, the never mind the rights, the lives of the millions right. to ensure the control of the communist Chinese and regime over Hong Kong. And if she doesn't, she'll get thrown in prison. Right. Right? I offer you the most sincere apology. Might be the single least sincere thing I've ever heard in my life. From reading all this China stuff, I've been reading the one thing that is a a constant is how scared everybody is that's in the Communist Party of the next person above them. Oh, yeah. Because you can end up in prison. Yeah. And your family. Uh, On a mere suspicion. Yeah. I don't like the looks he gives me. You know, I hear he's taking graft and... uh, I saw him talking to an American, uh, uh, you know, uh, diplomat the other day. I think they may be CIA. That's it. You're doomed. You're gone. My friends, Amazon is looking out for you, but it might hurt just a little bit. The company is now selling a bracelet that'll give you a 350-volt electric shock every time you indulge in a bad habit. Now, the idea is each time the wearer misbehaves... Yes, a compliance belt. You give yourself a shock with the bracelet in an effort to break you of your bad habits. The device can also be used with an app that appoints your friends as digital guardians able to shock you if you break the rules. Uh, point of order, Stanford did an experiment on this, and I think it was the uh, late 60s. Yes. It ended poorly. You trust your friends a lot more than I trust mine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry, accident. Zap. Oh, I must have hit, hit it again by accident. Again. I, I sat on it, my bad. <laughs> Don't tase me, bro. You said you weren't going to finish your fries. Ow! Ow! <laughs> One last note, there was a shooting Monday, and the sidelines of the Toronto Raptors NBA Championship rally sparked a brief panic. Four people injured, three suspects arrested. There were more than a million people packed into downtown Toronto to celebrate the team's first championship with a parade and a rally. The Raptors play-by-play announcer, who was the MC for the rally, Matt Devlin, is being praised for 
taking to the stage to keep the crowd calm. Everybody, please remain calm. Just stay here, stay together. Okay, we're here to celebrate, which we will. But I just want everybody to just take a moment, stay strong. There is an emergency that is being dealt with. And supposedly his actions really helped. All right. Good for him. He's a fine young man and a credit to his profession. Hey, speaking of sports and shootings, old Big Pappy. Yeah. Uh, David Ortiz yeah. shot in the Dominican. They're thinking it was over a woman or women. Evidently, and, and there are a couple of details that are a little hazy. He was either getting with the girlfriend of an imprisoned drug lord, or the woman he's with got into a fight with the woman of the imprisoned drug lord. But it has to do with uh, crime heavyweights and uh, and a chiquita or two, or so the authorities are thinking well, now. And so somebody took out a hit on him. Big Pappy rolls into town with his bankroll and his rugged good looks and right. starts offending the locals. Ow. There you go. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. What uh, you want from your company, what your company is willing to give you in exchange. Because <laughs> they're not going to give you what you want. Oh. Uh, among the things coming up. Bastards. What about my rights? A need to revisit the, uh, the Martin Luther King Jr. flap that is... Oh is not getting enough attention. I suppose it's going to start to burble out. It was an article written in a British <laughs> newspaper a couple of weeks ago. No American major publication would print it because it says a lot about bad things about MLK Jr. True things? True things. Indisputably true things? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Well? And then we got to decide as a society, Do so where are we now on MLK? Wow. Uh, if you haven't heard the details of this, it's pretty interesting. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I've mentioned over the years, usually on Martin Luther King Jr. Day, uh, this guy named David Garrow, among other authors who I really like, because he's a Pulitzer Prize winning biographer of Martin Luther King Jr. It's worth pointing out that he is a democratic socialist, this author. He is a huge MLK fan. If he's ever been accused of anything, it's been being too much of a, uh, writing too much of a hagiography. Is that the way you say the word? Yeah. Where you, uh, you, you lionize people too much and aren't true enough. I mean, if there's any, I, 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 he's great, actually. He's a great historian. But if anything, he leans toward that direction with MLK. A little soft so the, so the fact that he just wrote a 7,500-word piece that has some really negative stuff to say about MLK. I think it's just a historian doing what historians do. Look, I came across these facts, and the facts are what they are. I'm reading now from the Wall Street Journal. This is an opinion piece by a guy who gives a does an ethics class at a university. doesn't matter who he is. How can one understand the behavior unearthed by Martin Luther King Jr.'s biographer, David Garrow? Mr. Garrow has reported in sometimes pornographic detail, and I read it all last night, and it is full-on pornographic, uh, on King's... Um, uh, he uses the words uh, a strange word. To, anyway, King's uh, doings with some more than forty women, single and married, with whom he is said to have had an affairs. In the ugliest scene, difficult to comprehend or forgive, 
King stands by and even laughs and offers advice as a fellow minister rapes a woman. King is drunk and brags about it. This is all on audio tape, by the way, that is going to be released in about nine years. Oh, boy. Mr. Garrow's, I'm sorry, it's 7,800-word article. Plenty. That's a really long article. It took me 45 minutes to read it. Had to be published by the British magazine standpoint because American publications turned it down. Its revelations could change the way we look at Martin Luther King Jr. Wow, I could absolutely go off on a tangent on the American media and and why they would do that, but I won't. Go ahead. That's an interesting decision. Um, and at the end of this this guy's <laughs> column in the in the in the Wall Street Journal about this, he says the absence of absence of moral leaders such as King in our country is a catastrophe. A country without heroes becomes either savage or monstrously petty and dull and mean. What we have today Check. is a, yeah, what we have today is a toxic compound of savagery and pettiness, made even worse by the ruthless self-importance of identity politics. We've grown profligate in destroying heroes. I don't think we can afford to lose Dr. King. Um, and how we need to accept people for what they are and, you know, focus on the, the good stuff people do, blah, 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 blah. Yes. You know, the expression, and, and yes, if you want to take on this monster, we have it linked at Armstrong and Getty under Hot Lanks, the article. Um, it reminds me of the uh, the old saying, love the art, not the artist. You know, Bill Cosby was often right, and brilliantly so. And it would appear he is a serial rapist. Yeah, Seinfeld and uh, Colbert had a discussion about that on Colbert's show. Seinfeld mentioned something about Cosby. Colbert said, "You can can you still listen to his album stuff?" Said uh, Seinfeld said, "I separate him in my mind. It's still fantastic comedy." Mm-hmm. And Colbert said, "I can't do it. I can't listen to it." So, can you have one without the other? I don't know. Um, so you got that angle. There's there's so much here. There's I honestly could talk about this all day because there are so many different angles to it. The media coverage then and now. Mm-hmm. Um, LK, MLK's, the, the weirdness of sex just in human beings. How sure. you can be so great in every thing, apparently. Whether you're talking Catholic priests, politicians, civil rights, whoever it is. Great mom, great dad, great business leader. You know, you put the shopping cart back, but you, you do this stuff. But you're a pig. Sex-wise. Right. I mean, it just there's that. The government spying on people. Let me read just a little bit of that for you. Um, newly, uh, the FBI documents also reveal how its director, J. Edgar Hoover, who had convinced Bobby Kennedy, a civil rights hero, to authorize all these wiretaps. They tapped Martin Luther King Jr.'s every hotel room he was ever in, his home, everybody he ever talked to is all on tape. For years. Wow. And it's all going to come out in about nine years. And some of the transcripts are in this article. But so because he kind of knew some people that maybe were communists. Don't know. But that's good enough reason to record Donald Trump's conversations. I mean, Martin Luther King Jr.'s conversations. (laughs) Right. That's just the reasons the government can use. If they can come up with a person in your orbit that uh, might know somebody at a mosque or might be a communist, now we're tapping your phones and and spying on you as much as we want. It reminds me of how anybody uh, to the right of Mitt Romney is tarred with the alt-right thing because somebody they know who associates with somebody they know uh, went uh, once had lunch with a guy who was at a you know a, a Klan rally. The FBI documents reveal how its director J. Edgar Hoover authorized top bureau officials to send Dr. King a tape recording of his sexual activities. So they taped him having sex with a woman, sent it to King, and encouraged him to kill himself. Our own FBI. 
Wow. Encouraged an icon who's got a giant statue in Washington, D.C., a federal holiday, schools and roads named named for him all over the country. Right. Our own FBI tried to blackmail him into killing himself. And if you think that's, well, it's just a different era, things are different now, you're crazy. You don't understand humanity. Human nature does not change. Right. That, that is, to me, is just amazing. Wow. God, you're right. Every angle of this is worthy of hours of discussion. And so the, the main, I know the guy's name, Stanley Levinson, because I've been reading MLK stuff for years. He is, he is a friend of MLK and a suspected communist, and nobody's ever really nailed down how into the Communist Party he was, but nobody's ever found him being that attached. He was just, he's kind of into it, but he, like, actually sending stuff to Moscow or anything like that, nobody's ever nailed him down on that. Okay. Right. But he, he was a, a sympathizer, a com yeah. simp. Yeah. Is that enough to get to tap your phones? Mm-hmm. Because you know him? But they did nail down at the time, but they were so into the sex stuff, they ignored the fact that Stanley Levinson started giving... MLK Jr. tons of cash from right after when he met him that helped finance all these protests and all the stuff that he did mm-hmm. that was really disrupting the country. So did you have a communist perhaps getting money from the Soviet Union to give to a guy that was sowing the seeds of chaos in the United States? Maybe you'd think you'd want to look into it, but they didn't really look into it because they were so focused on the sex stuff. They overlooked this part, and Garrow is just, it blows his mind mm. that he's looking through this FBI stuff, and they seem to be like, yeah, and Levinson gave him a lot of cash, hardly knew the guy, but anyway, how about the threesome he had? That's weird. The equivalent of was over it, many was years. Was it all about blackmail? Discrediting him? I mean, was that their intent? I can't imagine overlooking shouldn't the you be counterintelligence more, Shouldn't angle. you be more worried that perhaps the big uh, the big protests and stuff are being financed by the Soviet Union, perhaps? Yeah, yeah. If a guy who's who you think is a communist gave him the equivalent of $600,000 over a period of many years, that's a lot of money mm-hmm. for some guy you, you just know and kind of you can become friends with yeah. um, in the whole... Uh, civil rights movement, right? Giving him tons of cash over the years, and that part just kind of got glossed over as they got into the. I mean, there were orgies, actual orgies. Uh, MLK, he had the, one of his preacher friends from Atlanta was flying to D.C. for some big conference and brought like I think it was a dozen women from the church with him to yeah. apparently just have sex with him and MLK. And there's tape recordings of them getting all drunked up in the room with the women and talking about what each woman will do and which one won't do. And some of the women saying, "No, I won't do that." Mm. Um, uh, you know, oh I'm, boy. I'm not going to get so graphic, but I mean, it's completely pornographic and graphic and then doing it. And then, uh, they hired a high, uh, MLK went to Vegas at one point and he uh, found a way to get some people to hire him a prostitute. Apparently he didn't have a girlfriend in that city of the 40 girlfriends that he had around the country, but they hired him a prostitute. Well, then the FBI interviewed that prostitute and have a detailed description of their sex. I mean, wow. as detailed as you can possibly get, Yikes. including a phone conversation or they had a bug in the lamp in this case, of the actual sex. And all those tapes are going to come out in nine years, wow. almost nine years, 2029. And as this author points out, this country is going to have a heck of a reckoning at that point. Well, and it's uh, yet, another, me too. yet another uh, ta- tangent worth reckoning with is, um, you know, all reform is by its nature destabilizing because you're changing something. And the badly needed civil rights reforms were destabilizing to the United States. 
So, yeah, the Soviets were probably interested in financing the civil rights movement just because it was destabilizing, doing, you know, God's work for the utterly wrong reasons. It's a long I article. Mean, that's crazy. There are there is some uh, naughty bit sexy stuff in there. If that starts, you've of made that you. clear. Speaking of obsessed, but uh, you know, I just don't want somebody to go read it and say, "Well, you didn't tell me." Kids, our bedtime uh, story tonight is this fascinating article. We have it at the website. Armstrong and Getty. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.